John Dwyer is a successful entrepreneur, having built and sold two healthcare startups to 3M and Aetna. He's now a key player in the Global CEO Initiative on Alzheimer's Disease and also plays an active role in the patient advocacy organization, Us Against Alzheimer's. John, great to see you, sir. It's great to see you, Dwayne. Always a pleasure. Uh, We always have a good conversation. We don't always agree, but we always have fun. (laughs) And we're never disagreeable with each other. Absolutely not, as it should be. So a year ago to the day, we were on a panel at Bio discussing the political pushback to the FDA's accelerated approval pathway and CMS's decision not to fund a couple of Alzheimer's treatments due to a coverage decision that occurred. What has happened with those two situations over the last year since we last spoke? The simple answer is, at one level, Dwayne, nothing has changed. That is to say, the national coverage decision with CED that Medicare issued for the class of drugs known as the monoclonal antibodies targeting beta amyloid plaque are in no way been changed since it issued when we were together over a year ago. On the other hand, There was a request for Medicare to reconsider that NCD, and they uh, respectfully declined to review it. So at that level, nothing's changed. We're now still working within the framework that they created. Come back to that in a second. Sure. The the framework as it now exists, however, is in a different place. As I not-so-jokingly say, the NCD actually has three rings of hell, (laughs) and the third ring is uh, the worst because it creates the impression that you can get out of hell, but hard for me to believe we will ever get out of hell. The first ring is, if you have an accelerated approval, you can only get coverage if you're part of a randomized clinical trial in this class of drugs. Second ring of hell is a comparative study typically in the form of a registry that is used for any drug that receives an FDA traditional approval. And the third, in the sole discretion of the agency, is that some drug someday will satisfy all their concerns at the FDA approval level, and they'll immediately cover to label, which is not the case today. That's why it's the third ring of hell, because it's so illusory. Right. It's difficult to imagine it would ever happen. However, we are now in the final throes of getting coverage under the second ring when FDA approves Lakembi on July 6th, which is their Padufa date. Getting back to that, we met in Luzon for the CEOI conference, and there was a lot of toing and froing about, obviously, the first decision spurred by Biogen's drug, and then a size drug, Lecambi, as you mentioned, whether or not CMS was going to hold the line on these three circles of hell, as you call it. I was one of the only people at the time who was willing to go on stage and sort of say, I didn't think CMS would climb down. I was very unpopular. Unfortunately, that proved correct. You were right on the money. I know, and I'm a cynical man. Unfortunately, these are cynical times, I think. So that's why I said, why would they give away the power if they have it? And I think we agree on that point. Were you surprised that CMS didn't budge, given the fact that the data, if the data holds through to the final readout here on phase three when they go to PDUFA, there's a 30% reduction in disease state. One would think that, hey, this works, this looks good. Were you surprised they didn't change their opinion? Well, as you've said, if it was about just about clinical performance, 
there are few clinical pivotal trials that have data as robust as that data set that Lakembi and ASA have. You can look at cancer drugs, you can look at rheumatoid arthritis drugs. I mean, the study as a standalone data set went from equivocal in Biogen's case to state-of-the-art pristine. Yeah. Even one of the biggest critics of the Biogen data on Agiome has called it a robust, statistically significant study. So if there was one for them to give ground on, this is it. Yeah. No, they like the structure. They like the structure because it gives them a way to ratchet utilization down and create some speed traps for uh, additional molecules to get to market. Scott Gottlieb said something recently that I repeat often, but I want to attribute it to him. He said this was an NCD looking for a clinical criteria. Right. So you think it was a strategy and they were just looking for a place they could apply it. Yeah. So they were just trying to find an opportunity to sort of clamp down. Yes. Yes. Now, why did they do that? Because Medicare's going broke. They're not doing it because of the price. Price is $26,500. It is not insignificant to the average person that's retired. But relative to all the drugs they have approved out of accelerated approval, for example, it would be like fifth from the bottom. Yeah. So it's not price. It's the number of patients. Which is what we discussed last year on stage. We had a firm agreement on that. And I don't see anything that's changed. But the problem is, John, and and we know this, there's some real economic impact here that occurs when you're starting to pull people out of the workforce. The opportunity to move that a third, I mean, that's real dollars. That's real economic impact. This is not without cause and it's not without reason that the drug is priced where it is. It's because it has real value. Are we getting to the point where CMS is acting more like, as I would say, a typical European HTA, whereas George Radenberg, your colleague, someone I've worked with, he would say that they're acting like a bad insurer? Well, there's no doubt they're a payer. I agree with George's sentiment. I use a slightly different formulation, which is they are, I think, just flat out operating past their statutory authority. If Congress wanted them to be able to do this, they would have words that say that. Right. Really, when you boil down how they justify what they've done, they wrap themselves in three words, reasonable and necessary. Right. Words that haven't changed in decades. Yet all of a sudden, in the best spirit of newfound legal rights, they read those same three words and say, for the first time ever, we're going to take accelerated approved drugs and traditionally approved drugs of the FDA and put them in a restrictive process. There's no statutory language, legislative history that empowers them to do that. That's what's really troubling to me. Because if Congress had done it, then that's a political problem. Right now we have a bureaucracy that I think is just operating ultra vires. But it's also politically expedient because Secretary Bassara of Health and Human Services has been on the record even when he was pushing for marching rights. I mean, this has been his position, which is part of the reason why he got the job, I think. And Shakita Brooks-Lasur, the head of CMS, 
was quoted in April that when, and this is a quote, when FDA approves Lakembi in July, whichever populations they say is appropriate for, that will be the basis for which people will get the drug. However, this doesn't solve the issue for Alzheimer's treatments because, as you mentioned, that third circle of hell is the registration and the necessity for them to be in a clinical trial. That doesn't go away. It doesn't go away. And in the case of Lakembi, we anticipate that it will get a, a traditional approval on July the 6th. And then the day that happens, or maybe the day after, Medicare is going to say, we cover the population covered by the FDA decision, but you, patient, and you, the physicians treating these patients, have to be entering the data that we think needs to be collected, which is not yet defined. Which they've never done before either. For any approved drug. Never, ever. FDA does this all the time. Companies do this all the time. Now you're going to have to build another bureaucracy to manage this within CMS. And the clock is ticking. A member of Congress who I'm especially fond of because of her vision is Anna Eshoo from California. And in a hearing recently, she ticked off all the things that Medicare has not yet answered in anticipation of a traditional approval where literally a million patients are going to ask, is that drug available and is it good for me? We don't know what the portal or any other registry looks like because just last week they talked about a portal. We don't know what the questions are they need answered. They don't know how long it's going to take a physician to answer those questions. They're not going to pay the physician for the extra work they've created. And uh, there's no information about how long it's going to extend the healthcare system's time to be able to treat patients because of this process. We're not even sure if all physicians performing evaluations and prescribing the drug will be able to participate in these registries due to time and cost and capacity. And expertise, too. And some, expertise. Some places might not be able to, to manage this. And then they're going to have to, we can't let patients be put in an unsafe environment. If a doc thinks they're right for the drug or isn't sure, they're going to have to refer them someplace else. But all we've done here is said, There are things you have to do before you can even start that process. And to do that, then you can get coverage for the drug. They also haven't, just to end the list, it's actually a little longer. (laughs) Yes, if it isn't bad enough. (laughs) Uh, But it is impossible to administer this drug without at least two PET images. And And those aren't cheap either. They aren't cheap. Or you have to get a CSF lumbar puncture, which is not a walk in the park. They can actually be done well. Patients don't like them necessarily. And it's unfair to insist that uh, Alzheimer's patients, especially in rural and underserved communities, only can get the drug after a set of lumbar punctures. But the point I wanted to make is there's another NCD that was applied to a diagnostic ligand for PET images of beta amyloid. They've limited the number of times a Medicare beneficiary can get this very important PET image, which is part of the label for Lakembi, one per Medicare beneficiary for life. And you're going to need at least two. And in many cases, you're going to need multiple because doctors are going to want to know, did I remove all the plaque? And they can't do that by any other means than a PET image, in my opinion. And there are the issues, because it's a large molecule crossing the blood-brain barrier, 
there is a notable risk of toxicity, and we're seeing that. And imaging is one way you can notice it's brain swelling. It's the only way. You know, unless it's post-mortem where you're pulling the head apart, which doesn't work very well. So the Probably fact, not good medicine. Probably not. Well, you know, <laughs> not lately at least. Yeah. Not for a couple hundred years. But the reality is you're going to need to have that imaging to be able to determine if people are having an adverse event as well. And the label for both the ASI drug and anticipating Lilly's drug is going to require multiple MRIs so you can establish a baseline and then do multiple in the early parts of administering the drug MRIs because it was in the early phases of administration that the vast majority of these brain bleeds occurred. Right. Most people, not all, there were some serious cases but most cases resolve themselves after they were detected by changing the dosing or taking people off the drug entirely. The point is, Medicare has to pay for those MRIs. Yes. We haven't heard them say, I'll pay for the MRIs. We haven't heard them say they'll pay for one more, uh, more pet image. So all the infrastructure questions for administration of this drug are unanswered by the agency. There's not a solution that's been presented and we're less than 30 days, literally today, we're less than 30 days away from an approval that will require them to be ready. I don't think they're gonna be ready. Let's back off from the minutiae here and look at this a little bit more from a helicopter view, just a touch. What we're seeing is people have pinned their political careers to these opinions, and now all of a sudden reality is coming up and biting them on the backside. How does this get resolved? Do they climb down? So you were right about Secretary Becerra. He has no appetite to climb down. The administrator is leading, and he is ardently following. So there's no change likely to come from that quarter. The only two places, well, actually three, that um, can inflict change are certainly the West Wing of the White House, the president, can come forward and say, this is not the way we want to conduct business and uh, have the administrator cease and desist with this. That's an interesting question. Not at all clear to me that in this environment that will happen, but it's still possible. There is a poll that my organization and several others came together on where we showed the political will of the people is overwhelmingly registered voters said they don't like this policy, they don't want this policy to prevail. Even 2020 Trump voters were in the 70 percentile saying, I want Biden to intervene. And they don't like Biden to do anything. That's interesting. And so I think the uh, will of the people is quite clear. There's uniform consensus on that. I think that the other thing, which is not today going to happen, but one of the pharma companies filed today a lawsuit against Merck. Yeah. Uh, filed a lawsuit today uh, challenging the IRA. I don't think that is unlikely to be the case as well in this instance. I think there will be a lawsuit filed. I think the lawsuit has a high probability of success, no guarantees. And all of this can be unwound perhaps most efficiently now in the courts, which is really saying something. Yeah, it's sad, unfortunately. But, you know, we, when we discussed last year, Again, well before the ASI readouts and everything that were coming down the pipe at that point, we were already saying we were kind of surprised that there hadn't been legal action 
taken, particularly around the CMS issue for the NCD, the coverage decision. Certainly IRA, there are a lot of provisions there that cause all sorts of trouble because you're pricing something where you're only controlling 50% of the revenue and we've had a large overstep of the current case law, it would appear. So the IRA, we can talk about that a little bit, but there's one critical distinction. In the case of the NCD, there is no statute. Yeah, exactly. So there was no statutory change that led to this regulatory change. The IRA is new legislation. The people's elected representatives passed it. Does it violate the Constitution? Does it otherwise fall victim of an unsupportable legislative act? That's for the courts to decide. But this one's even weaker because there's no statute in place to have warranted this behavior. That's why I'm so eager to see how it would fare in a court. The situation is you've had a large push for drug pricing reform. Right. Period. And the out-of-pocket aspects of CMS have been very, very challenging. We, we know that. Right. Okay. And there were no caps. Now there's an out-of-pocket cap within the IRA, and that will prove to be very popular. I'm sure of that to 2000 out Still, $2,000 is not insignificant. It's a substantial amount of money. Something like 50% of all Americans don't have $500 to draw on an emergency right now or something like that. I was reading some data on this. So, you know, $2,000 is not a small ask. Yet, it's far better than it was three or four years ago. There's no question. But the reality is, a lot of this has been polling very successfully. I think the problem with Alzheimer's is that one out of every three people is dealing with this disease personally. Correct. And now you have a drug that shows great efficacy. It's the first of what will surely be more. And yet, I think the politicians have painted themselves into a corner now. There's starting to be real political consequences. And I also believe for the IRA, too. So, I agree with that. There are going to be plenty of political and legal issues. But, you know, fairness dictates that we at least acknowledge that, the, that Medicare trustees have said point blank, we're going to go broke. Yeah. We're running out of money. And it's imminent. Any trustee that says you have less than five years before your receipts are less than your expenditures, that's imminent. So while we've, I think, correctly found fault with the NCD for Alzheimer's, at a high level, you have to, you only have two levers that Medicare, or Congress for that matter, can really play with that aren't politically toxic. Because if you change the age eligibility, that is the third rail. Okay. So you can reduce the number of people on Medicare by making Medicare eligibility 67 to 70. Good luck with that, but that is a choice. Or you uh, reduce costs by saying we're going to pay less for the services we currently get, or we're going to reduce the amount of utilization any one service can represent in the cornucopia of services rendered and paid for by Medicare. In the case of the IRA, they started to clip pricing. That goes straight to the price problem. And in the NCD with Alzheimer's, it's the first effort to clip volume. Price times volume equals cost. Yeah. I just think that you and I can kick this can around, <laughs> but the fact is, if we aren't thinking as a field, an industry, research does not think about how to create a solution that is 
bundled value for bundled price. It, nobody in industry is yet particularly thrilled with trying to uh, do a deal for on a performance basis, and I understand why, because it's very difficult to establish and make sure you're going to get paid for it. Nevertheless, going broke doesn't help anybody. We've done some back of the envelope on this. You can actually improve benefits quite radically if you delay five years. You can actually increase the Medicare payout. You can actually improve the out-of-pocket situation. I mean, there's a lot you can do to create wins if you start pushing the age up. And this could be an individual choice. You could structure this where if you wait another five years, the benefit package gets better. There are enticements you could do around this to try and fix the program. I don't think it has to be a third rail. You know, my father worked till he was 74 and, and he was very healthy while he was working and enjoyed his work. I don't think it's a catch-as-catch-can. If it's an election, yeah. but I think even if in a non-partisan environment, you poll people yeah. and ask them, you can have coverage today at 65 or better coverage tomorrow at 67 to 70. Let's pick 70 because that's a really big weight. Yeah. You're going to see a lot of people die because they didn't have coverage. You're going to see a lot of people, and you look at the data, there's a lot of folks, the, you know, the warranty goes out between 65 and 70. And there are a lot of people who would require those benefit packages. I completely agree. But you could design, I do think there's a possibility where you could create incentives packages where if people are healthy and can keep working, they could do so. I, I think that's very, very fair. Theoretically, I think economics and, and financing that uh, additional runway for the trust is a possibility. But then what happens is politically, the Republicans get pilloried if they advance that because no Democrats I know yeah. will advance that approach and the Democrats will say see we told you they were trying to erode your benefits and by the way they have talked about it there are folks on the hill mostly the in the Republican Party but everybody knows the math doesn't work yeah. so it's not inappropriate for anybody to ask uh, thoughtful questions in advance thoughtful uh, solutions here's the problem we have because i you know, I consider myself part of industry, to say I want the status quo back after Congress has passed legislation saying we're going to change how we get pricing. In the face of the Medicare dilemma is to say I'm not offering a thoughtful alternative like you just expo exposed us to. I just want the deal I used to have. Right. I live in Washington. It's politically expedient, and you win. It's not a thoughtful response to the situation. It may be the right response for industry right now, but I can tell you this. I think it's going to be a very... You have to litigate it to get that position back. You know, John, it's interesting, though, because we've been getting approached very quietly by both Republicans and Democrats saying, we've got some concerns about IRA. We've got some concerns about this. Can you walk us through the math on this? Yeah. And they're not coming out public, and I would never say whom they are. But there's a growing understanding that, hey, this is going to cause problems for orphan indications. This is going to cause problems for neurological disorders. We may be taking this a bit too far. It's one thing to try and win an election. It's another thing to kill the golden goose. We're in Boston. Walk around here. It's chalk a block with biopharma. It, yeah. this, t this town runs on biopharma now. And there's, 
so many promising life advancing therapies here that deserve uh, to get to the marketplace if they show clinical efficacy and safety. I agree with that. And IRA has absolutely changed the incentives and how investors and companies look at their portfolio of choice. That cannot be denied. Now, where the lines are being drawn and why the lines are being drawn, I have a slightly more, gee, there's probably more can do in this uh, IRA, but the marketplace has every right to make decisions about adequate ROI, but the flip side is, and this is not necessarily the industry popular view, is to ask for a return to the old status quo is just a bridge too far. No, That's all I'll say. Something's got to, I, I agree that something has to change, and I think a lot of it's going to involve PBM reform. I think a lot of it's going to involve more transparency rules. I think it's going to be paid for performance. I think In some a cases. Yeah. And, and by the way, you know, back to your point. If you get somebody to stand up for a pay for performance, they ought to get paid big bank. Yes. Because they've taken all the risk. Absolutely. And and you're going to do that if you think you have a good drug. Well, look at Savaldi. I mean, again, we've spoken about Savaldi. I mean, yeah. this was a drug that had a 99% cure rate. And I had a European politician look me in the face on a dais and say, this drug is immoral. How in the hell can you say this drug is immoral? That's insanity. That's the, that's the pretext for denial of coverage. Absolutely. 100%, John. 100%. One of the things that we've also been discussing regarding these issues with CMS sort of stepping in and not covering is there's a whole class of obesity drugs coming now. Obviously, the number one killer in the United States, despite how successful Lipitor is, etc., and yeah. it's now cheaper than milk, <laughs> you know, whatever. The reality is cardiovascular disease still kills. It's still the number one killer in the United States. I mean, cancer's catching up, but CVD is number one. There's no coverage and there's a lot of controversy over these emerging class of what appears to be highly effective anti-obesity treatments. Now, we were having a discussion before we went online here on this podcast, and there's a wrinkle to this that I was unaware of. So why can't CMS cover these? You're saying it's actually it's legal. It's prohibited yeah. by statute. Why were these class of drugs not necessarily outlawed, but why were they prohibited? Well, first of all, the statute was passed a long enough ago, I can't remember exactly when, that the terrific science of some of these now emerging therapies was not before Congress. Right. And the American preoccupation with being allowed to eat whatever they want and not gain weight is um, highly desired. The fact is that this federal statute is on the books and CMS probably rejoices at the prohibition, but they have no latitude. It's going to require an act of Congress to allow uh, the Novo products and the Lilly products to name two companies. And Amgen has, the data on the Amgen stuff looks pretty good too. It's early days, but some of the early readouts look really powerful. But isn't that terrific? And none of that was in front of Congress. So now we've statutorily written out coverage on a drug that if we could, drug, classes of drugs, that if we could take the Dwayne Schulte method, and actually, if you pay the price, and these are not cheap drugs. No, of course not. Let's note that, right? So let's presume that any, uh, a million Americans on Medicare could and should take those drugs because they're morbidly obese. 
I bet you there's a million Medicare beneficiaries that would qualify. Probably, and the rest, sir. So at a million alone, that's a $20 billion spend, in my opinion. That's taking the average of the drugs I'm looking at. So let's just size that. And the before we start to pillory the pharmaceutical companies, the price is the price for now. Now the next question is, by the way, that would rush them to an analysis on the IRA. Yeah. Uh, because they'll get in the top. Oh, that would put them in the top 10 pretty much bang on. They'd be there. But they're not oral. Yeah. They're not oral. So they'll be, they'll in, be in your 13. But the question I want to ask, I want the hard work to be done saying, if you could drop... 40, 50 million pounds of weight out of the Medicare population. And you reduce diabetes by 60, 70%, for example. Congestive heart failure. Oh, my God. Can you imagine? And hypertension. And you actually do the work to say, I get this result, I get this benefit. And what's the benefit to the health system, net, net? I mean, and my God, could you imagine that? And the numbers would be interesting. The it? numbers would be critical. Uh, yeah. To get a legislation, I think the numbers would be critical. That is an interesting model, by the way, for pay for performance. Absolutely. Because yeah. one of the biggest problems with drugs is do they adhere to the actual taking of the drug? And I don't know anybody that won't take a drug reduction, weight reduction drug with great regularity because of the personal benefit. They can see the pounds shed. That'd be an interesting Dwayne Schulte model. <laughs> I like your thinking, John. I yeah. like the way you're going with this. This is what I find so fascinating about this. You know, and the same with Savaldi, too, by the way. It, the overall economic benefit is so clear on your face. It's like, why are we even discussing this? This is, it doesn't, yes, 80000 is a lot, but it wasn't 80000 It ended up being 40000 very quickly. And you were paying more than 200000 per patient right. by the time you looked at the long tail. You know? And it's one other interesting point, because we haven't talked about my domain expertise, Everybody agrees. Lifestyle change changes the course of Alzheimer's onset. You don't smoke, you get more exercise, you get eight hours sleep, you lose weight. The very same issues that plague diabetes and cardiovascular disease. And cancer. And cancer plague Alzheimer's patients. So if we were in an environment where we were actually combining technologies, I see five or six chronic diseases, all that drive get driven down, and the need to pay for these other drugs that are treating those conditions, some of which are very inexpensive now, admittedly, but the point is the system does not see the cost. Yeah. That's a lot of homework. A lot of discussion. It's a lot of data pulled out of EHR systems, and it's a lot of running ICD codes, but it could be done. 100% it could be done, John, and it's, a, it's intriguing to me it's something I think our firm would love to sink our teeth into, and I'm sure the results would be illuminating. And I, I think that's that's a bipartisan exercise. I, it certainly is. One of the other things that I think has been ancillary to this debate, around, particularly around the Inflation Reduction Act, looking at this battle between CMS, HHS, the industry, and patients, unfortunately. As a patient advocate, are you concerned that we may start losing the ability to produce a lot of orphan drugs. And I I think now we're starting to see some more honesty about these impacts, that there's starting to be a realization, okay, we can't just try and paper this over with happy, clappy talk. we got to deal with it. But are you concerned that you're getting pushed up against it now because you're not necessarily getting a lot of public support? It's a 
tougher question for a patient advocate to answer than just saying simply yes. I am concerned. Yeah. Uh, I think there are always molecules that go before major pharma companies, governance committees that get cut and put on the, the floor because they don't look as good in the tox screen or they don't look like they're going to be as effective or now there's not going to be the ROI that they might have seen if they had a longer runway than nine years yeah. on the drug. Drugs get cut out of pipelines all the time for lots of reasons. Doesn't mean that this IRA isn't influencing behavior. But I also want to say, Dwayne, in this environment, if you give me an environment where I get to set my price yeah. for nine years and I can go into the marketplace and get approval and sell it for nine years before anybody can influence my price from the government, I should be able to make a lot of money. So I don't think this is entirely the ROI issue is the ROI issue in competition to other drugs that don't have that have even more of an ROI within a big portfolio or an ROI relative to 13 years versus nine. But there are small portfolio companies that will never trigger the list that are going to be able to price their drug in a place. And I think the expectation of investors as to what can be realized may have to be dropped and they're going to have to make a decision. Can I get a better deal by investing in disinfectants in another industry? Yeah, exactly. But I think all I'm really saying is it is going to stifle at the margin some drugs. The OMB said 80. You know, yeah. have we seen 80 yet? No. Not yet. In 2026, and then the investment criteria changes. The problem is when you come and view that accelerated approval with an orphan indication, you're then trading those three years of orphan revenue for three years of peak sales. So that comes at a real heavy price. That orphan indication becomes very, very expensive in future revenues. Or you just, or you just increase the price of the orphan indication. Which is already under a tremendous amount of pressure and is extremely controversial. I do think launch prices are going to go up, but there's already tremendous pressure on the orphan pipeline, John. And now you're basically saying, okay, even if you increase it, is that even sustainable? One. Two, does that push it out of the market? And three, can you guarantee you're going to get those sales? And the problem is you're due better off by delaying market entry and going for the larger indications. I don't think that's ever... If you can get an accelerated approval and, and payment... I'm sure you're right, there are going to be scenarios, but I don't think that's going to be the majority case. Earlier is always better. It is if it doesn't come in the expense of peak sales, which it does. At 11% cost of capital, you still end up substantially better in year 9 and year 13 if you avoid the orphan indication. And you're seeing a move away from orphan oncology. You are. I didn't say you were wrong. It is a multifactorial decision. Absolutely. And we need to acknowledge the IRA has changed that math. So on the back of the IRA, given the popularity of drug pricing, the Smart Prices Act, 9 and 13, moves it to 5 and 5. So there is no more difference. It's a five-year negotiation for all therapies. Now, regardless of your opinion of 9 and 13, I, I already see a problem in 9 and 13. I see a huge problem at 5. I see well, an enormous there's problem there's no question. First of all, it's a bridge too far for an interesting reason. I think 
markets need time to adjust. I know in deep in your free market heart, you'll acknowledge that the 9 and 13, however arbitrary that might have been, because it was. I, I'm no doubt we've created perverse incentives with the 9 and 13. Good marketeers, big and small, will figure out uh, a new equilibrium with 9 and 13. People will maximize the, the solution based upon their own interests. There's no question about that. Absolutely. 5 and 5 is such a sudden and equally arbitrary shift that dislocating the field to a point where we're going to see unnecessary cutback on innovation, not giving the marketplace here enough time to adjust to 9 and 13. I really think could have gone 9 and 9, could have gone 13 and 13. But whatever flaws in the current system there are in there, we've talked about them, to put that much abrupt change, it scares capital and innovation away it, way too much. I, I, I'm sure you are going to model it, but my gut tells me that's going to be uh, a real nuclear winter on biotech. We have modeled it, and the numbers we're seeing are in excess of a 60% reduction of net revenue for over 140 therapies. It's just not a surprise. It's the, the math the, is the, pretty conclusive. The numbers are pretty bad, John. It guts the sector. The problem is the Overton window. We're moving it so far now. It's popular, and some people are going to play the popular card. It's unfortunate. I was joking that, well, people are going to have to start paying to put their drug in the market here pretty soon. Well, that won't work. That, well, that model, I agree, can't possibly work. <laughs> well, we're on the way there quickly, unfortunately. I, I think that if that passes, uh, I'll run a four-minute mile and for your audience. <laughs> uh, it's going to be a long time before I'm running a four-minute mile, if ever. All right. A lot going on here, obviously. It's always great to see you, but I have one final question for you. If you had the ability right now to fix one thing, the Biden administration came to you and said, we really messed up a lot of stuff here. What's the one thing we can do before the election to try and fix this? Where do you start? Before the election, they can't touch the IRA because that's disloyalty to their party that will never be forgiven. So I think that to start to talk about, in good faith, pay for performance within the context of a bolt-on to the IRA slap around the PBMs, if you like. You know, I think it's reasonable to debate how much benefit we'll really realize. So I'm not sure that that's the one thing. I'll go back to the core, which is to a no NCD can be issued other than coverage to label for any drug that the FDA approves. Just return to the status quo before 22. To the statute, basically. Right. Return to the statute as it was previously interpreted. That's the one thing I change because we already showed the political ramifications of that decision. And also, it's really not going to cost them as much money as they think it does because the, the health care system, and I did want to make this point, the health care system in neurology is so under-muscled for treating patients with this kind of therapy that it's going to be years before this therapy is in big numbers. While the number of patients may be as much as a million, the system can't even process them and prescribe it uh, in the excess of 100,000 in the next couple of years. So 
it's not going to be the tsunami it cost because of the overall capacity of healthcare systems to prescribe and allow patients on the drug. And it prevents all these orphan indications you're worried about correctly to deal with the uncertainty of this. There's nothing that stops them from doing this to anybody else. Exactly. Cancer, rheumatoid arthritis, any orphan indication you can dream of, if they choose to pull the trigger, they're only limited by their administrative manpower to issue that structure again. That's why I think if he puts a cork in this thing, he's got something that's been really, that'd be really good for everybody, and I think the marketplace will reward him for it. We'll see. John Dwyer, always a pleasure, my friend. Thank you very much for your time. Good to see you too, Dwayne. Always. Bye-bye. The executive producer of the Vital Health Podcast is Dwayne Schultes. Our editor is Mark Brodeen. Our project manager is Gwen O'Loughlin. The Vital Health Podcast is a production of Vital Transformation, LLC, copyright 2023.